Um, if you want to turn in your Bibles or your Bible apps uh, to Matthew chapter 27, we're going to be there for a large portion of the message today. Now, we're not going to start there. We're going to start in Luke chapter 19, so you, you can turn there as well. But today, we're going to let Scripture do the heavy lifting. We've got a lot of Scripture to read, because I could stand up here and I could talk about the, the trial and the crucifixion and the death and the burial and the resurrection, or we could open God's Word and read it and, and, and let those words just come alive to us. So that's what we're going to do today. But today we're going to start off where we left off last week. And that was the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on what we now know as Palm Sunday. And as we read this, I, I want to just make, make a, a key point. Can you think of a time when Jesus just thoughtlessly or flippantly says something. He just rattles something off. I mean, we do it all the time. You know, if we're talking, I, I might just say something nonsensical. And what was that? I don't know. I was trying to, you know, fill the gap. And yeah. Jesus doesn't do that. Every time he has something to say, there's intentionality, there's thoughtfulness. And it's because he says, I, I, I did nothing except what the Father told me. Okay? So Luke 19, verse 38 the crowd shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. If these become silent, the stones will cry out. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. We are here today to celebrate our risen Savior. Question. Based on what Jesus said there in Luke 19, if these become silent and the stones will cry out, I've got a few questions. Number one, who are these that might become silent? Who are these? When Jesus said these, who are these that might become silent? Number two, what would make them silent? And number three, it's a two-parter. If such a thing could happen, how would stones cry out? What would that sound like? Okay? Let's tackle these. Number one, the these that Jesus are talking about. It's his followers. It's his disciples. It's the, the, the inner circle, the inner three that he has. This the 12. It's the extended group of a handful, a dozen. It's people that are in Jerusalem. It's people that are gathering together because there's this triumphant entry and they're, they're coming to see what's going on. It's the masses. It's the crowds. It's a big group of people. It's them. What he says, talks about them and, and these, it's all of them. Okay? Number one. Number two, what would make them silent? This is a crowd that is shouting, Hosanna! 
Glory to God in the highest. Hosanna. God save us. Save us now, King. What would make them be silent? Lots of things. Emotionality. Fickleness. Disappointment. Disillusionment. Being manipulated. Being swept up. Swept up in the moment by a few convincing loud voices. Shock. Disbelief. There's, there's lots of answers to that one. What would make them silent? But I, I do think there's one answer that, that's applicable here that we see get unpacked before us. And that's this. Shock. Being greatly astonished, dumbfounded. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Jesus replied to the Pharisees' demands to rebuke, your, rebuke these people. Rebuke your disciples. Rebuke these people who are calling you the king, who are calling you son of God, who are, who are lifting you up. Rebuke them. And Jesus says, I'm telling you, if these become silent, so I want to I touch on this phrase, become silent. What exactly does that mean, to become silent? There's a word in the Greek, C-O-P-A-O, and it means to become silent. That's the word we're talking about, C-O-P-A-O. And it says to involuntarily become still. To involuntarily become still, unable to speak. So there's two words for to become silent and silence that are used interchangeably oftentimes throughout the New Testament. There's this word that we just read, and then there's another word um, that says that the meaning is to refuse to speak. That's not the word we're talking about. That's not the word that Jesus used. He didn't use, hey, if these refuse to speak, that's not what he says. He says, if these become unable to speak. If these become unable to declare, then the rocks will cry out and we'll get to that in just a minute. What Jesus is saying is if these who are loud and boisterous and celebratory are unable to speak, if these passionate voices are made silent, the stones will cry out. The third question, if such a thing could happen, how would stones cry out? What would that sound like? We're going to table that right now. We're going to set it aside on a shelf. Now, I want to give you a disclaimer because I've done it once before. Once before, I had like multiple points and I'm like, oh, we'll get to that other point later. And I didn't get to it. And I heard it from people like, you didn't get to point number five. You left us dangling. And I didn't do it like to manipulate or anything. Like, I'll come back next week and I'll give you point number five. I just forgot. But I'm not going to forget today. So let's, let's look at what took place five days after this triumphant injury. Five days after palms were cut down and waved in a, in a gesture of honor to King Jesus. Matthew 27, verse 11. And like I said, we're going to be here for a while. Now Jesus stood before the governor, Pilate. 
And the governor questioned him, saying, Are you king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things that they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Pilate was amazed. Friends, each one of us should be amazed at the poise and the strength and the obedience of Jesus Christ in this moment. I don't know too many of us that that would have poise in the face of false accusation. I know what I want to do. I know what I want to do when somebody makes false accusation against me. I want to be like, friends, let's go enjoy a froyo and, and sit down. And, and let, me, let me just graciously um, retort to your, your unkind statements, right? That's what I want to do. I know at, at, um, at the minimum, I want to defend myself. At the minimum, I, I want to stand up for, for truth and say, that's not true. And Jesus sat silent. The accusations made against Jesus, and he just sat so silent that Pilate was like, he was amazed. Friends, we need to let God be our defender, even though it's hard. And we need to see the bigger picture of God's plan. And, and seeing the bigger picture of God's plan does not come without relationship with Christ. Whether we say, Jesus, help me see what I don't see. Help me see what you see. How does this fit into your plan? And then we've got to trust his bigness. And we've got to trust his, def- his defense of you. Next verse, verse 15. Now at the feast the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew, for Pilate knew, that because of envy, they had handed him over. Pilate knew that that the high priest Caiaphas was shady, was dishonest, manipulative, and envious of Jesus. Pilate could see that Caiaphas was stirring up the crowd. The manipulation was already taking place. He was stirring them into a frenzy. Verse 19, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, Pilate's wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. And the governor said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, crucify him. And he said, why, what evil has he done? But they kept shouting it again and again. Crucify him. You guys, I don't get it. What wrong has he done? Crucify him. Look at this detail from John chapter 19. In John 19, 10 through 12, we see this. So Pilate said to Jesus, 
you do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, who who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release Jesus. But the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. This is the religious leaders crying this out. Not, not the Roman citizens. Man, talk about political threats and manipulation. I just want to point out, it ain't new. It ain't new. It's been around for a long time. This is nothing but political manipulation. This is... I ain't going there. When Pilate heard these words, he caved to the pressure. And that early morning, under duress, he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. Shall I crucify your king? Five days earlier, they were calling him their king. Five days earlier, they were proclaiming him king. The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Crucify him. What about us? What about you? Often the, the loudest voices win. Often the most accusatory, threatening voices win. Have we clothed ourselves in righteousness and hidden the word of God in our heart so that we are committed to Jesus having the win? Not us. Saying, Jesus, I, I just need you to have your way. I'm desperate for you to have your way. I need you to win. I need you to have your way. Back to Matthew 27. And the next verse is, is verse 24. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. And he says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, his blood shall be on us and on our children. Oh, what an unfortunate curse. Then he released Barabbas for them. But after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. The crucifixion of Jesus. Verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium. That's where Pilate's home, his, his residence there, and gathered the whole Roman cohort, cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they knelt before him, and they mocked him. They said, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. After they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. As they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressured into service to bear his cross. So if I can pause right there. The Roman soldiers played games 
with Jesus. They mocked him. They taunted him. They were looking for, for parlor tricks. They were amuse us. Prophesy to us. Tell us who hit you. We don't do that. I'm just letting you know we do ask Jesus to jump through hoops for us. See, when, when they had had their fun, they sent him away. And, and I'm just letting you guys know all too often we do the same thing. When we had our way with Jesus, we send him away. Oh, Jesus, you didn't answer that prayer, and we send him away. Jesus, there were two prayers you didn't answer, and we send him away. I have no use for you anymore, Lord. You've, you've answered my, my questions. You've done my tricks. You've jumped through the hoops. And then we get disillusioned. And we send them away. And if you think we don't do it, it's, it's in our nature to do it, that selfish nature to do it, to say, Lord, why didn't you answer my prayer? Lord, why weren't you there for me then with, without asking them, Lord, show me where you were then. Your word tells me you'll never leave me, you'll never forsake me. So Jesus, I need to see where you were in that moment because I believe your word. It's good to search our soul for harsh treatment of Jesus because sometimes we do it flippantly. Don't worry, we'll we'll reconcile those feelings before we leave. Verse 33, still in Matthew 27. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall. And after tasting it, Jesus was unwilling to drink it. Gall was a numbing agent. It was there on reserve. If, if, if the people being crucified were too loud or too annoying and crying out too much, they, they, had, they had this... Gall, this numbing agent mixed with a, with a bitter vinegar wine, and they would have them drink of it to numb their pain so they wouldn't inconvenience the Roman soldiers with their screams. Now, we don't see indication that, that this is Jesus' behavior at all, but they lifted it to his lips, and he tasted it, and he refused it. Why? Because he knew the cup that the Father had put before him, and he was committed to drink every drop of that cup from the Father and not be numbed. He wanted to feel every bit of the pain. That's how hungry he was to be obedient to the Father's will that we would be reconciled to God. He embraced it all. Next verse, 35. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And just above his head, they put up the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. In five days, the crowd went from Hosanna! to crucify him. The voices of the crowd went from save us now, O King of Israel, to mocking 
Jesus dying on the cross, as we see in verse 42, when they mocked, saying, he saved others, he could not save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now, if he delights in him, for he said, I'm the son of God. Verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi! Eloi! Lama sabachthani! That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded his spirit. And Jesus died. And the crowd became silent, unable to speak. involuntarily still. And Jesus prophesied that this would happen on Palm Sunday. He prophesied that they would become still. Not that they would refuse to speak, but that they would be unable to speak. And he also prophesied that something else would take place. Verse 51 And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. And this is exactly what took place as the earth shook. Croaked and cried out in response to the murder of its innocent king. The stones began crying out. So this Greek word for cry out, it doesn't mean sing. Sometimes we've heard the scripture, and, and it, you know, and if, if these won't praise me, then, then, then the rocks will sing. The word for cry out that's used here is the word krodzo, And here's the definition, to croak as a raven, to shriek or exclaim. And the secondary definition of this is to cry for vengeance. The earth croaked and shrieked and the rocks were split. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I'm telling you guys, when we see something Jesus says in Scripture, we never should take it lightly. It's never flippant. It's never off the cuff. It always has power and life. The thick 60-foot veil that was in the temple that only Caiaphas had access to was ripped by the hand of God from top to bottom. I love that it wasn't bottom to top. Then man could have taken credit. You know some like self-serving sucker would have been like, oh yeah, that was, that was me and Bob. Me and Bob did that. From top to bottom, it was ripped. What did that signify? 
that no longer was it just for the religious elite who had access to the presence of God, but all of us had access to the presence of God by the completed work of Jesus Christ, by the work of the cross. The significance was dumbfounding. Access to God was now purchased by the sacrificial lamb of God. All who were weary, who were heavy laden, who were burdened with the curse of sin and shame, could find rest in the presence of a loving and mighty God, a a mighty God bigger than sin, bigger than curse, bigger than shame. Verse 52, the tombs were, this is, a, this is amazing, this is amazing. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered, who's they, who's they? People, like raised up saints. Like, kind of like zombies, but not really zombies, but you know, I mean, you know, let's not make it a horror movie, but you know, you're close, we're, we're tracking. Um, they entered the holy city and they appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, they became very frightened and said, they became frightened and said, truly this was the Son of God. And with that the people were silent no more. Because with that there's plenty to talk about and it begins with I can't believe he died. He, I mean he's he's dead. I I saw them put the spear in his side and I saw the water and the blood pour out and he didn't move. He's dead. Jesus is dead. His disciples said it. His family said it. The Romans said it. The religious leaders said it. Jesus is dead. But now the Romans and the Jews, they were faced with another problem. What would they do with the body of Christ? What would they do with the body of Jesus? See, Romans usually left the bodies of the crucified up on the cross to rot. They wanted to send a message to would-be criminals. This is what happens, and this is how you're treated after you die. You remain on the cross, and, and you let the birds pick at you, and you rot up there. That's what they normally did. But see, Pilate, I, I believe he knew darn well he couldn't do this because Pilate knew that he saw the crucifixion of an innocent man. The Jewish leaders were under obligation to bury the dead within 24 hours. But the Jewish leaders wanted to completely disassociate themselves with Jesus. What to do? It's at this point that we meet a secret disciple of Jesus. Do you know that there are secret disciples of Jesus we see in Scripture and that they're referred to as secret disciples of Jesus? Not in a good way, not in a cool way, not in like a James Bond kind of way. You know, this is not like, oh my gosh. You know, he's got like a, you know, wristband on, oh, you know, shoot lasers or something. No, secret like 
I don't want to lose my social standing. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And I love what he's teaching and I see the miracles. But I don't want to lose my social standing and and I'm wealthy. I don't want to lose my money. And I see that there's a cost that comes with following this teacher and I don't want to lose that. So I'm going to admire him from a distance. It'll be our secret. Now, I love, I love the characters. And I say characters, but they were men. The people of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. The two guys that are referred to as the secret disciples of Jesus. Luke 23 informs us that Joseph was a good and a just man. He was a prominent member of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. Joseph, we see in in Scripture, in Luke 23, he did not consent to the Sanhedrin's plan and action to crucify Jesus. He was a good man. He, He loved Jesus. Sundown was an hour away. Sunset was an hour away. And that means an hour away the Sabbath began. Jesus had to be taken down and wrapped and buried in this time. This Sabbath was also the Sabbath that was coming happened to be the Passover, the high holy holiday. Let's pick back up in verse 57. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Now, the, the Gospel of John does tell us that, uh, that Nicodemus was with him as well, and that he brought a hundred pounds. I'm sure not him. He, he and his servants, he, they brought a hundred pound mixture of myrrh and aloes for the burial of Christ. So picking back up in verse 59, and Joseph and Nicodemus took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in Joseph's own new tomb, which he had hewn out on the rock. And he rolled a large stone across the entrance of the tomb and he went away. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. How large was that stone? I, I just I like little facts like this. How large was that stone? Large enough that it would take six men to roll it into place. But the way that it was designed, there was a groove, so it would take 12 strong men to roll it out because it was an uphill roll, okay? So six men rolled this tomb, the stone, to cover the tomb. These two men, Joseph, Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Both of them religious leaders, religious elite both of them followers of Jesus. Both of them taking Jesus' body from Golgotha to the tomb. Putting the spices around him, wrapping him, and burying him. By the way, they must not have done a very good job because we see later that that uh, Mary Magdalene was there like two days later because she was going to do it right because she brought spices with her again. She must have thought they didn't do a very good job. They're like, yeah, you know, they're not used to this. 
Here's what's interesting. Both these religious leaders are now ceremonially unclean because they've touched a dead body because they've handled blood. They're ceremonially unclean. They cannot worship at that Sabbath and they cannot worship at Passover because a certain amount of time must pass before they are considered clean again. Covered in the blood of Jesus, they're considered unclean. Both these men now have put their seats on the council at risk. They probably, I mean, at this moment, their their assumption is we're going to be removed. They have ended their silence. They've ended their silence. They were silent. They were quiet. They were secret followers of Jesus. And this act, this declaration proclaims we follow Jesus. What was done to him was not right. His teaching is truth. Their social standing now in jeopardy. If I can pause right there. How much do we care about our social standing? How, How much do we care how how bold are we for Christ? How audacious are we for, for Jesus Christ? How much do we care what our neighbors think? How much do we care what our coworkers think? How much do we care what others think in regards to our love and obedience and commitment to Jesus Christ? Because if we're hindered, then we care a bit too much about our social standing. Where are the places that we will not proclaim that Jesus is Lord? And, and in answering that, then we identify a place that we care a bit more about potential consequences, the threat of consequences, or offending somebody than we do about Jesus. And I know that's harsh, man, but tell me I'm wrong. Their actions now screamed they were followers of Jesus and they didn't care who knew it. It took the death of Jesus to make them declare their faith in him. They were too late to let Jesus know, we will follow you. He died. They were too late to let him know, we've admired you. And, you know, Nicodemus had, had encountered Jesus three times, had come to him at night. Each time he seemed to be getting more and more boldness. Now it's too late. He's dead. These men walked away from the tomb silent. Next chapter, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath... As it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came back to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled the stone away and sat upon it. I imagine this angel kicking his feet. Like a kid, like on a pier. Like just kicking. He's sitting on the the stone. Everything's hunky-dory. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. The guards shook 
for fear of him and became like dead men. Previously, I had asked three questions. The third of which was, if such a thing could happen, how would stones cry out? And what would that sound like? And the answer is this. It could happen. It did happen. And the most definitive sound of a stone crying out is the sound of a mighty earthquake mixed with the sound that comes from a colossal stone being removed so that an even more colossal living God could emerge from that tomb victorious, alive, and with work to still do for 40 days. For 40 days, he ate with people. He ate with his disciples. He met with people. He appeared out of nowhere. He disappeared out of nowhere. And how did he announce his resurrection? I love this. In one of the accounts in the Gospels, we see it was with one word. It was a name. It was with a name. Because Mary was there she's like where have you taken my Lord and she didn't recognize she didn't recognize it was Jesus and with one word she knew it was Jesus and it was her name Mary and she knew and I'm here to tell you right now and I mean this in all sincerity Jesus is here right now to utter one word to you your name to speak your name because he's not just a God of the masses he is your he's your God he has a relationship with you he desires a relationship if you can just just close your eyes and hear him call your name Did you come to see Jesus today? He's alive. He's risen. He never died again. He's alive. And he's here to call your name. Hear it. He's here to proclaim resurrection life to you. Hear it. Experience it. Scripture tells us that one of the appearances of Jesus, he appeared... Uh, so he appeared to hundreds of people. I don't even know how many hundreds of people. But at one time, he appeared to over 500. That's what 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8 says. For I, this is Paul speaking. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, to Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, 
he appeared to me also. This is Paul speaking. Saying, I was, I was born too late to be out of the mix. But he appeared to me after his resurrection. Do you think Jesus appeared to Joseph of Arimathea and to Nicodemus? I think he did. I think he, I mean, I hope he did. I think he did. Can you imagine what he would have said? Can you imagine what they would have said? Because see, the chance that they thought was over, because he was dead, they now have the chance to say all that they wanted to say before, that they never said before. And now they could, because Jesus lives. Talk about seizing the moment. Friends, we can always come to the Lord. We can always share with the Lord. We can be vulnerable. We can be raw. We can be real. And he's always going to be God but not distant, far off, far away, God. Friend, Savior, Teacher. There may be people here today that are like those two men, Joseph and Nicodemus, kind of admirers from a distance, like secret followers of Christ. Maybe a little a little late to the barbecue. I just let you know you are not late. It is never too late. It is never too late. Do you know who the first person to enter heaven as a result of the work of the cross was? Do you know? A criminal! A criminal on the cross is the first person to make heaven as a result of the work of the cross. Because when he was done mocking Jesus... He, he said, hey, we deserve to be here. He doesn't. Jesus, would you remember me? And he turned to him and said, you'll be with me this day in paradise. Jesus died before that man. But when that man died, Jesus was with him and said, see, I told you. It's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late for us to receive grace. For our sins, it's never too late. It's never too late for us to call out and to be saved and say, Jesus, I believe in you. And I I proclaim you are Lord. It's never too late. It's never too late to say, Lord, when I was younger, you called me to this. And I ran. But this day I'm saying, Lord, I, I will walk with you. I will follow you. It's never too late. If there's anyone here that's never proclaimed Jesus as Lord, we see in Romans 9, Romans 10, that there's a simple way for us to be saved. And that's to believe that he's risen from the grave, to believe that he's alive, to believe that he's not some dead icon on a wall, to believe in your heart and then with your mouth say, Jesus is Lord. And you'll be saved. Would you say yes to him today? As he calls your name, and I promise you, if you're not following him right now, I promise you he's calling your name. He's wooing you. He's leaving the 99 to go after the one. Just 
say yes. Just reply. Proclaim your belief and proclaim that he is Lord. Can we, can we close our eyes for a second? If there's anyone here today and, 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 and that's you, that you, you want to give your life to Christ and proclaim him as Lord because you do, you believe. You believe. You couldn't be talked out of it. You believe he's alive and that he wants you to walk in that that life today. If that's you, would you just lock eyes with me, raise your hand, make it abundantly clear so that we can celebrate today your salvation, your rescue by our mighty God. Is there anybody? Just, Just make it obvious. Lock eyes with me. Is there anyone? Jesus. Lord Jesus, you are faithful. Lord, we believe. We believe you are Son of God. That you are our mighty King. That you conquered death. That you are alive and seated at the right hand of the Father even now. That the Holy Spirit was sent to guide us, to be with us, to not leave us as orphans, but to empower us in this walk of righteousness and power. Lord, we say yes to you today. If there's anybody watching online, and it could be today, it could be a month from now, a year from now, but you made a decision to trust your life in Christ, would you email us at contact at impactrock.com because we want to link arms with you. We want to, to walk with you in discipleship. We want to get you a Bible, whatever, whatever it takes. So just email us and we'll get back to you. Friends, our God is alive. He is risen and because he's alive, we have life. Um, could you stand with me as I just close us out with this, this blessing? Um, and I encourage you guys, before I, I realize once I read the blessing, like, you gone. You gone. And I, I won't be able to get everybody. But I am going to make my way to the front. I'd love to be able to just greet and touch everyone. We have a gift for you. Um, we actually have a cross that someone in the church has made. Um, so every person in this place gets a just this amazing little cross today. Um, so make sure you grab that on your way out. Love you all. Hope to see you next week. And I'll leave you with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Enjoy the day.